this morning, and uh, the uh, the subject or the matter that or the I don't even know what the word is. I'm going to say I'm I'm all tongue-tied this morning. The uh, the message, I guess I would say of of this particular chapter um, and what Paul is dealing with and what he's challenging uh, the Corinthian people to do is something that I'm convinced is something that we're still struggling with today or we're, st- we're still teaching about today that is a struggle that is in churches everywhere around the world. Um, and you'll see what I mean by that when we get into this. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and open in a, in a word of prayer. We'll probably get through about the first five verses or so and, uh, and we'll get started. So Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for your blessings today, and I just thank you for your truth. Um, Lord, I pray that, uh, that you would help us to understand it clearly, um, Lord, to obey it as you have designed and as you, as you have called us to, and Lord, also to um, stand against teaching that is false. And so, Lord, I just praise you for, um, Lord, this passage today, and I thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So if we just read through um, the first, let's read through the first 11 verses and then we'll get into this um, text here. He says, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And this grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Whether then it is I or they, that is what, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. Yes? I think he's giving God the credit of the work that was being done through him when he says, I boast even harder. So he's not, he's not asking for you to acknowledge him or acknowledge credit to his life, you know, because he... he Simply because when he looks, he says, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle, and I'm the least of the apostles. I think that's what motivates him to work harder, you know. Um, so I, with what you're describing there as we read through this passage, I want to ask how many of you have persecuted the church of Christ in some way or another? Yeah. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> You're not quite that bad. <laughs> right, right, no. And, and Paul is saying, you know, that, and we know by his authorization of Stephen being stoned, um, 
that, you know, Paul's saying, I, I arrested and killed people, you know, that were following Christ the same way that he's following now. Um, and he's looking at them going, wow, you know, they were faithful. They were, uh, and so he is going, if, if they will follow Christ to the death that I put on them, I need to follow Christ to the death even farther or put more effort and allow God to work more in me. So I haven't physically killed anybody, but by Jesus' description, he says if you've hated anybody in any kind of way, he says you've committed murder in your heart. Uh, and so there's been, there have been people where I've, you know, people that I know of in my life where I've, I've thought to myself, um, if, they weren't, if they weren't here anymore, that wouldn't be no skin off my back. You know, that wouldn't, you know, and, and so Jesus says, if that's the way you feel about another created person in my image, that you, you've committed murder in your heart. So, um, question. yeah. Not necessarily. If, now, if you've done something d- in, in deliberately to wrong them and they know, you know, and you know that you did wrong, then absolutely yes, you go and you make it right with that person. Um, and so, but if there's just somebody that, you know, I've been in contact with, I repent with God. Um, and then from that point forward, I begin treating them like they're, like they're gr- God's created human being that deserves my respect, that deserves my giving them the testimony about Jesus Christ and being kind to them, you know, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, if, if the Lord lays a conviction on your heart to go and deal with that and to go tell them, then absolutely I would do it then. Um, yeah, I'm, that, that you can't do it then. <laughs> you know, I... I mean, yeah, but the, the the question, you're probably asking dealing with the guilt, and I think last Sunday's message, dealing with a clear conscience, speaks to that specifically. Um, so if you go back, if you get a chance, go back and listen to last week's message. Um, there's, there is freedom from guilt if after you've repented from, you know, from that with God. And so... Um, Uh-huh. Right. Forgive them, right. And so that right there already says that, I mean, Nico's asking it from the opposite side of that. So say what, Luke 17, what? Okay. And this is talking, he's spe- speaking specifically about forgiveness. Um, Nico's question was from the, from the aspect of if I wrong somebody else. And uh, Luke 17, yeah, verse 3, uh, so watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. So He's describing it there from the receiving end. If you know that somebody has wronged you, you are to approach them and say, hey, you know, I, I think this was wrong, um, and they repent of that, then, then we're to forgive them. So, uh, but Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, when he starts out this passage, 
Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you when you rece- uh, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. If we remember um, when Paul was in Corinth, the things that happened in Acts chapter 18, we don't have a lot of details from Acts 18 about what Paul, you know, his, his comings and goings daily but what we do know is that he went into the synagogue, he meets Priscilla, or he gets there, he meets Priscilla and Aquila, he's, he gets a job, he starts working as a tent maker, and every Sabbath he's in the synagogue, he's, he's having conversations, and there's, there's tension with the gospel message that he's teaching. And so he leaves the synagogue, goes next door to one of the synagogue leaders' homes, they get saved. And there's enough persecution there that Paul is thinking, you know what, I think it's time for me to leave. And the Lord appears to him in a vision and says, stay here because I've got more people. Um, There's more people that know me that are following me that need encouragement as well as there's more people that need to hear. And so he decides to stay and he stays for another year and a half. And of course we know that um, Gallio is the proconsul that year and he's only proconsul for one year which specifically dates this time to be 51 AD Um, and why that's significant is because this is written what three years later I believe approximately maybe between three five years okay I thought between three and four years uh, but about five years after and so the significance of when people say I follow Apollos as as is read in the first chapter or two I follow Cephas, and some say I follow Paul, is that Apollos is there, according to Acts 19, while Paul is writing this from Ephesus. And so um, what he's he's doing is he's including himself in that group of believers that when he says, for what I received I passed on to you is of first importance. And he starts talking about the, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. So what two things have, have we learned in the past, in the last year or two, what two things uh, in the Scripture have to be proven true to say that the gospel is accurate, that the gospel message is accurate? The resurrection? And what? Um, is it Creation? Creation and resurrection. So, because there were many people who fit the criteria for a Roman death, for a Roman crucifixion, um, but the crucifixion, at the crucifixion, I don't remember exactly how many, but I know there's over a hundred, I believe, Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled at the crucifixion. And so if you disprove the resurrection, you take everything about Christianity and you wipe it clean because it's no longer valid. And so Paul is saying here, stick to what I taught you when I was there five years ago. And what Apollos, um, if you, let's look at Acts chapter 19 just real quick, just the first verse. Um, because we want to understand what kind of things are going on after Paul leaves. Let's turn there just for a moment. Yeah, Acts 19. Um, actually, we may back up just, just the last verse in chapter 18. Let's start in 1827. He says, when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, Achaia, am I saying that correctly? 
Achaia. Uh, Achaia, just for a second so you know, is what modern day uh, Greece is now. So Corinth and Athens and Century are all in Achaia. Um, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. And when he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. So he was a tremendous encouragement to the believers that were already following Christ. Verse 28, it says, For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in the public debate, uh, proving from the scripture that Jesus was the Messiah. So Apollo shows up and he's affirming everything that Paul's already taught. And he's continuing to evangelize the area. And so when Paul now is writing this letter back, he is saying to them, Apollos is giving you the message about Jesus Christ. He's giving you truth. Don't follow Apollos. Follow the message about Jesus Christ, about what you learned from me. And so um, he, he, he's, there's an understanding here that they've already stood up for the gospel message. In verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, By this gospel you are saved. And so when he says you are saved in the Greek language, that is the, by, he's giving the description of what sanctification is. And so it's not by this you were saved back then, it's by this you are continually being saved, you're continually being sanctified, and you're learning more about the gospel message. So how this relates to the things that we're dealing with today is... To put, kind of put it in a nutshell, Paul's saying there are no denominations. It's Jesus Christ. He was crucified according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He rose from the dead according to the Scriptures. And what's happening is, if you remember, the demographic of Corinth is a mixture of people who were exiled from Rome. So there's Jewish people there, as we just read in Acts 18, at the end of 18, there's Jewish people there. There are Romans possibly there. Um, there are natives from there. And so there's kind of a mixture of people demographically there. <clears throat> and so it's, it's likely and possible, according to some historians, that there were Sadducees that were saying there's no resurrection. And so they, they come from that area, and they're easily influenced by that. Because when I look at a church in, say, five years, that's not very long from the time that they give their life to Christ, really, and then they're starting to stray away. Um, there's, it's also suggested that there were some like uh, uh, is Hymenaeus um, in Timothy where Paul warns that they say that the resurrection's already happened. And so there's, there's all of these outside things that are, um, that are really oppressing and pushing in on the church and so Paul is giving this warning about these types of things as well as the misuse of the gifts um, that they've, they've received and that kind of thing. So when he starts out in chapter 15, he reminds them of the cross, bringing the readers full circle from the beginning of the letter. If we go back to 1 Corinthians 1, and uh, we're just going to look at a couple of verses just in, chapters, in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Verses 17 and 18, he says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross be emptied of his power. 
For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So Larry, back to your question, you know, about him, about Paul boasting in chapter 15. Paul's stating right here that it's nothing of me because I don't want any credit be given to me, so I don't baptize anybody. I don't preach circumcision. <laughs> I'm sorry, somebody say it for me, circumcision, uh, thank you. He says, I don't preach that, but he says, <laughs> he says, uh, you know, he wants everything. So he, he, he even says, uh, let's see, look at verses 22 and 23 um, of chapter 1. Jews demanded signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Um, and then uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so he's, he's, when he comes in, he comes in as humbly as he possibly knows how. Because I look at Paul's life before... And, and we know what he was aspiring to be and, and the, the massive uh, amount of intellect that he had regarding the law and regarding all of these other things about life and the wisdom that he had. And now, as he's following Christ, he's completely humbled and he's not using any of those things other than to elevate Jesus Christ, to elevate the gospel message about the, the death, burial, and resurrection. And so what happens today is it's very easy to take the gospel message that we know and understand and everything that we understand about the message and say everything I know and understand about the gospel is true and is correct and we put ourselves in the middle of that. And everybody outside of us is incorrect in some way or another or maybe a little off. And so over the years from this point, you, you begin to see how different denominations branched off because of differences in belief or new, uh, new information or new, I don't even want to call it information because it's not information, it's beliefs about different things that cause divisions that Paul has warned against already that have caused divisions and people rather than researching to find the truth have said, you know what, Maybe it's better if you just go your way and we go ours. And then now you have different, you have different branches. And that's continuing to happen today. Um, I can think of a church in our community here that at one time was a, I, I thought was a, was a, a thriving church, uh, teaching the truth, giving the gospel message. Um, the pastor got older in years, his health deteriorated, and he retired, and it wasn't long after that that there was a, the church was five or six people, and they would get together and have a meeting, and everybody was fighting with everybody before it was over. And so, and it was all about things that Paul would describe as um, disputable matters. You know, it was all about, most of the time it was about things that, that, weren't scripture and the things that were scripture were hardly being brought up and being adhered to so um, chapter 15 in verse 2 the uh, 
the gospel or the good news that's also referred to as the glad announcement, that, that message had not changed. Um, but Paul feared that just as the message of the crucifixion had be, become decline, or began declining, that the same was happening in regard to the message of the, of the resurrection. And I had to bring my computer because my printer missed a line or two in my notes. Um, so, Paul's writing, uh, as we mentioned before, he's writing from Ephesus and Apollos is in Corinth. Um, we looked at Acts 18. Jesus answers, uh, assures Paul in Corinth when, when Paul was there. He, and, and I'm not sure, maybe one of you guys can help me out with this. When Sosthenes was beaten in front of the proconsul, was that early in Paul's stay in Corinth? I believe it was. Um, because Jesus assures him in Acts 18 before it's written that this occurred. But Jesus assures Paul of his safety while he's there. But Jesus doesn't give him any assurance about the people that are around him. So Paul, I, I, I just I can't even imagine being in that position, standing there in front of the proconsul and watching as a brother in Christ is being beaten up and not being able to do anything about it. Um, not being able to, and when I say not being able to, I don't know that it was because he was physically unable, uh, but the Spirit of God was allowing it to happen, or God was allowing it to happen for a purpose so that Sosthenes could be an effective minister in the community there. Um, and so uh, in, in chapter 15, First uh, Corinthians, when he describes, by this gospel you are saved if you home, hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. What, what do you picture that, that, that he's referring to right there? Okay. So holding firmly, holding firmly to the gospel means what for me today? Holding firmly to the gospel means what for me this week? <laughs> I know the word is right on the tip, is right there, Jim, and you're looking at me like I'm going to just blurt it out. <laughs> Say that again. Obedience. Holding firmly to the gospel means you read something and you don't look around at the circumstances and evaluate whether or not that's beneficial for me today. It means you read something, and no matter what the circumstances are, you, you just do. And that's, sometimes that's easier than others. Um, a few weeks back, if you look at Hebrews, he writes the same thing in Hebrews 3. Uh, let's take a look at that. We'll start in verse 12. And we'll read through uh, verse 14. And, and I love the way this is worded. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. I'm going to stop right there for a second. Again, who is he writing to? Jews. Are they believing Jews or are they unbelieving Jews? Okay, he only writes to believers. So he's writing to believers, see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. 
So what that means is people who have, like Paul talks about in Corinth, those of you who uh, received and taken your stand on the gospel message, what's happening? It's easy to start listening to something that's logical that's contrary to the scripture. What does that do? It makes me a sinning heart. So Paul continues to go back to what the scripture has written. So verse 13 but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we indeed hold our original conviction firmly till the very end. And then he goes into describing um, when the Israelites left Egypt. Uh, in verse 15, he says, Just as it has been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. And so, um, yes, yes. So, you know, he's describing to the Jews in Hebrews, and he's also describing to the people in Corinth that holding firmly to the truth means to obey the things that we've learned. Um, Yeah, yeah, that's a good passage. I forget where that's at, though. Do you remember? Turn away from godless chatter. Is that Timothy he's writing to? Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, you know, and th that's hard to do. Why? Because we're curious. <laughs> Sometimes we want to just hear what other people are saying about, you know, because if, if I do that, if, if I hear somebody saying, uh, mention Christianity uh, or anything like that. My, my ears perk up, you know, and I want to kind of hear what they're saying. And, and it's easy to pick out of a conversation the things that we agree with and assume that we agree with the whole thing. And so, and the same is true going the other way. I was, I was uh, yesterday morning, I was up really early and I was just, I, I had to go into work for a few hours and I, I was doing some things at home before I left and I flipped the TV on and uh, there was a, I'm not sure if it was a documentary or what it was, but it was, a, it was a program about Rome, about modern day Rome. And so it was just kind of noise in the background, but I was listening to it and they had the Pope on there and this and that. And they started talking about how they've decided that it would be beneficial to the Roman church, the Roman Catholic church, to have women as bishops in the Roman Catholic Church and how the Pope had signed an order into action where they could start uh, giving women positions of higher authority in the Roman Church. And then they were describing how, and I forget where it was located, but they, ha they have been working on construction of this, this building that I believe was intended to be a hospital as well as an educational center type place. And they're building this hospital, and, and then in this one particular room, they have all over the walls in this room representations of all different kinds of religions. And they're using terminology like polytheism uh, or monotheism. And, and I'm, I'm just catching this from the other room as the TV's going. And all of a sudden, I hear something and, and it caught my attention, but I, it, it, was a, it was a live stream, so I couldn't pause it and rewind it and listen to it again. But I hear this lady talking about Christian Muslims, Christian Muslims. And I'm like, 
wait a minute, that's an oxymoron. So I go running in there to look at it again, and they're talking about how they wanted to support uh, diversity in worshiping all of these gods. And they've got Christianity with all of the pagan Greek gods and all of these different types of religion. And I'm going, some of these people I don't know if I want to be in the same room with because I know they hate Christians. <laughs> you know? And, and this, is, this is something, say that again. Are the same, yes, yes. And so I didn't have time to listen to it till the end, but I hope that I can go back and, and watch that over again. Um, but these are the kind of things that are going on around the world today uh, that are very subtly creeping into Christianity or the Christian church that are driving, is, is driving a wedge in between the truth and what God intends for the truth to be. So um, when Paul mentions, uh, he says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. This is verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. We're going we're gonna to unpack that one a little bit more next week um, but I wanted to look at uh, verse 5 and verse 6 real quickly just for a minute he says and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time most of whom are still living though some have fallen asleep I want to ask the question really quick first of all According to the Gospels, who was the first one to see the risen Savior? Mary Magdalene. Why isn't she mentioned here? I'm just looking this all up. Because women weren't believed. Right. So Paul starts with who the Corinthian people, who the people in Corinth are going to acknowledge. Yes. Yes. So they all quoted those verses before Paul gave them scripture. Right. So Mary would have quoted those verses. Right. So yes. Right, right. I'm glad you mentioned that because yeah, he's he's including himself in that this is the message that came to him from from before. Right. Right. So is is he correct in his order? Is the is the question I wanna wanna resolve. So first to Cephas and then the other <laughs> the other question, I think Larry's gonna have the answer to this one pretty quick. Um, and then the twelve. It says the twelve. How many were there? 11. There were 11. Right. So that's an important thing to look at, because, and we'll look at that in just a minute. Um, but if we go back to Luke, um, yes, yes, right. And you're, you're jumping ahead of me, but that is the correct answer to that, to that question. Uh, Luke, 
That's where we're going right now. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you're, you're honing in on that. Um, so Luke 24, uh, starting in verse 13, who is he with? When you get there, you go ahead and just shout, somebody shout it out. Cleopas and someone else, so the two men he's traveling with on the road to Emmaus, and, and we're familiar with that conversation and how that goes. Um, and, and when Jesus leaves them, they immediately go back to Jerusalem. And the report that they give when they get there, starting in verse 33, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, and there they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to who? Simon. Cephas. Yes. So Simon Peter was called Cephas, which means Peter. Um, we know that that's what Jesus called him. So whether that happened before he appeared to uh, the two on the road to Emmaus or right here at this moment, I'm not 100% sure. But these guys are saying that he appeared to, to Cephas already. Yes? In verse 12, uh-huh. after the women were not with then 11, they said they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Right. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. Right. Away, wondering to himself what had happened. Right. So I haven't dug into that completely to see if any of the other Gospels report that, that he, Peter did have a face-to-face. Maybe you can answer that. John reports that. Right. 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 And so with that being said, the, um, when we say the 12 in 1 Corinthians 15, um, most of the commentaries that I looked at would say that it wasn't the numerical portion of it that was important. It was the title of the group, the disciples, the 12, the chosen by, by Jesus to execute the, the work that was assigned to them. And so Matthias, I would say, absolutely was there in the upper room when, uh, uh, when Jesus appeared to them as well. Uh, and Judas was obviously absent, and he's describing. And then so when John, um, I forget, uh, John 20 and verses 19 through 23, when Jesus is there talking to people, it's minus Thomas because Thomas appears, shows up just a little while after that. So that's just kind of a description of the, the title or the name, the group name that's given to the, to the men that are doing that work. Right. 
Right, right. Right, right. Um, so anyway, chronologically, Peter and these men on, their, on the road to Emmaus and the disciples all happened Resurrection Sunday. Um, and then the following week, uh, in John 20, like I just mentioned, this is a week later that Jesus appears to them in the upper room. Uh, and you'll find that in John 20, verses 26 through 31. We're, we're not going to go there for the sake of time. Um, but then... A while later, he appears to them in Galilee in John 21. Um, yeah, John 21, and that chapter goes on to describe the instructions that he gives to, to Peter as well. So, um, back in 1 Corinthians 15, he gives probably, I would say, uh, like I said, I, I, I still haven't quite figured out the chronology of events. Um, but as I read Acts chapter 1 and Luke's account that is, that is being written to give Theopolis an account of what's happened, uh, the number of people and all of the people that actually witnessed Jesus on the earth, the resurrection Christ, was yeah, were thousands. They had to be thousands of people. Um, and, and so... Well, it's been proven, but people choose not to believe it. They choose not to believe the evidence that points to it. And so you're going to... 100% of scholars believe that Jesus was crucified. Almost all scholars, 100% believe that these people believe... Believe they saw. ...they interacted with the resurrected Christ. Right. So they believe that what Paul is writing here is true. Right. Right. I mean, some of the smartest, Right. And so what's happening and what's infiltrating the church is their people are being refined away from the reality of the actual resurrection. And the farther, it seems like the farther we get away from, time-wise, away from that, it's more and more difficult to convince a person that Jesus rose from the dead. And... (laughs) Right. Yeah, there's 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 a lot of people that will say that he soul slept. Or that he, he, he was in a soul-sleeping uh, state where, like a comatose state where it was like he was dead, but he wasn't actually dead. And three days later, he, he woke up and he got up. And, uh, but, the, but what debunks that is if you talk to a physician today and you give them all the information that we have, not... Not even just from the Bible. We're talking about from historical accounts of what the Romans did, knowing and understanding that the Roman military were professional executioners. And if they didn't follow through and execute the person that was, was on, you know, on death row, it meant that the soldiers' heads rolled. 
okay? It meant that they were the next ones to go on that cross. And when it's that, when it's that serious, you can't look at it, Christ being executed, his crucifixion, and say, well, that didn't happen. It happened because if it didn't happen, everybody knew about it, and the people that were responsible paid the price. They paid it with their own life. And so not only that, but medically speaking, all of the information that we have about Christ's crucifixion, no physician would look at that and say that there was even a possibility that he could have survived. So there's no question and I don't think anybody, when they look at the evidence, anybody questions whether or not he died. People want to question whether, he not, whether or not he rose from the dead. Because if he rose from the dead, then everything in here applies to every human be- living human being. And they have to obey it in order to see Jesus Christ in heaven and in order to enter the kingdom. And if everything about the resurrection is true... That means if you choose not to obey it, there's only one other place you can and will go. And we don't want, people don't want to hear that. People don't want to hear that there's going to be accountability for our actions and and that there's going to be a reward for following Christ and there's going to be uh, a consequence and destruction for those who don't. Um, We like to think that we're going to get to heaven and we're going to persuade God to let us in. You know, we're going to talk our way out of it or talk our way into it or, or whatever. Yeah, and by, by bringing up good things that we've done and reminding Jesus of what he already knows, you know. And, and that's why he describes that, you know, many are going to come to me and say, Lord, we did these things in your name. I went to church. I, I served in the nursery and I did this and the Sunday school and, and all of these things. And he's going to say, depart from me. You worker of iniquity, just like in Hebrews, don't, turn, don't let yourself go to a sinful, unbelieving heart. Um, but, but have people around you that are going to keep us accountable to the truth and are going to uh, continue to encourage us. And so... Yeah. They literally believe that, that Mary can save Right, right. And the passage, there's the passage that discredits that um, is when Jesus, say that again? Right. Right. And Jesus is still an infant at that time, right? Is it? Or, oh, okay. Okay.
Okay. I, I, my mind's drawn a blank, but I was thinking that there was a verse in one of the Gospels that, that referred to when, Jesus, when she went to the temple to present Jesus um, that, that there was a statement made about her child being her own redeemer. Okay. Okay, okay. Right, right. That's an, yeah. Yeah, she's quoting. Right, right. 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 So if we find stuff in the Bible that disagrees with what we've already told, then we've not spoken Yeah, and that's very similar, I believe, to what people in Corinth are doing as the Jews and all of these other influencers are coming in. They're, they're refining or, or trying to redefine the Scripture. Uh, that's, that's a word in our culture today, redefine and, and uh, uh, redefine, make different words mean different things, um, that they're doing the same things and having the same types of struggles. So, uh, um, yeah, yeah. I'm going to stop right there, but you guys go ahead. Let's continue the discussion.